So you know that song that kids sing at BBS and camp, I just want to be a sheep, right? Ba, 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 I just want to be a sheep, right? And uh, <clears throat> I don't want to be a Pharisee, right? You sing that part. I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're what? They're not fair, you see, right? I don't want to be a Sadducee either because they're sad, you see, right? Well, if you don't want to be a Pharisee and you don't want to be a Sadducee, you're in luck because you don't have to be and you're not. It's tempting for law-loving preachers and like-minded congregants to assume the role of these chief priests in our text today because we're often looking to do that in Scripture. Sometimes our own sin wants us to, do, wants us to be the antagonists in the story either because we want to beat ourselves up over our sin, or we believe that we need the pot stirred up every now and then. While some of us may be antagonizing, the modern-day counterparts to these men are not us. They're the naysaying, gospel-reducing, platitude-heaping, wiser-than-thou disbelievers in our cities, towns, and rural parts. I don't believe many of them consider Jesus Christ, a person who warns people that there are serious, indeed fatal, consequences if you do away with him, you know, kill him off in your heart and mind. From what I see in here, popular belief is Jesus is like a man with a philosophy, a message of brotherly love you can buy into or not with no consequences at all if you don't. But if people would actually listen to him and learn from him, they would learn the truth, wouldn't they? It would motivate them to do things. Namely, believe and be saved. And let God turn their lives around away from destruction. That's one of the purposes of this parable. The other function of it is that we, would, we you and I, would be deepened in our grasp of God's persistent love in the ministry of His Son, Jesus. So it's not who are we in this parable, it's who Jesus is and what He's doing. But before we go on, I have to have have us read what comes just before this parable. It's important to have a little more context here and know who Jesus is talking to. So get out these pew Bibles and turn to page 910, which is Luke 20, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. These verses, chapter 20, verses 1 through 8, do not appear anywhere in the church's three-year lectionary, so it never gets read on Sundays. But you may be familiar with it with your your own Bible study or your own reading of Luke at home. Jesus' authority questioned. Now it happened on one of those <clears throat> now it happened on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him and spoke to him, saying, Tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? But he answered and said to them, <clears throat> 
I will also ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned, or in other translations, they grumbled among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he tells the parable of the vineyard to them. And here we go again with this confrontational Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've had enough confrontation. Uh, I'd like some peace and harmony restored. Uh, Maybe you do too, maybe you don't. Uh, Nevertheless, we're going to have to be confronted with Jesus here a little while longer. Uh, But unlike us, and our style of confrontation, which reveals what comes from our hearts, he's that way in order to reveal the hearts of others. And he also uses these parables to teach people about him and what his kingdom is like. Prime example is this parable of the vineyard. Talk about a confrontation and a violent one at that. This little story seems to be based on the ancient practice of absentee landlords who owned rather large tracts of land in Galilee. Uh, Actually, it still seems to be a practice today. I mean, I have heard uh, many of the vineyards around here are owned by people who don't even live in the state. Uh, Some of them are even as far as, you know, back east on the east coast. They have tenants or employees who manage the day-to-day operations of the vineyard. So it's not a stretch for us to understand this setting. The difference being maybe that in today's world, the owner doesn't have to show up at the vineyard as often to collect his profits. You know, that's all done electronically now. But there's a puzzling thing about this parable. What would the tenants gain by killing the son except the wrath of the owner? Have you ever wondered that? What's he thinking? Or what are they thinking? Don't they know they put their own lives in jeopardy if they kill the son? The owner is going to want retribution and justice. Uh, we know, you know, that people do things without thinking things through, or their greed might be blinding them from seeing the consequences. But another solution to this question may be that when the wicked tenants see the son, They assume the owner is dead. Otherwise, he'd be showing up himself, wouldn't he? So they see an opportunity to remove any and perhaps the last obstacle to getting what they want. Apparently, squatter's rights might have been a thing back then, too. If the authorities can't prove the land is owned by someone else, if there's no evidence or witnesses left, you own it. So Jesus has set the scene and told the story. Now, who are the people in the parable? Well, God the Father is the owner of the vineyard. No surprise there, right? The vineyard is Israel, all the people of God. The greedy and violent tenants are the chief priests and the religious leaders of Israel and all their cohorts. The servants are the prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, 
Joel, Micah, Jonah, all those guys. And the beloved son, again, not surprisingly, to us anyway, is Jesus. Now, to the original hearers of this parable, it would have been a surprise to hear that the son is the very man who is telling them this. But they don't understand. They don't get it. The point Jesus is trying to make to them is not the productivity of the vineyard, but the owner's actions. Notice what comes next. The owner will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyards to others. Others, meaning those who have nothing to do with it, who don't deserve the vineyard, yet they get it as an inheritance. A free gift. That's you and me, folks, Jew and Gentile, who hear and believe we're the heirs and all our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the reaction by the chief priests, again, is puzzling because you would think these guys would understand an eye for an eye and vengeance. You know, they were pretty heavy-handed themselves in this way with their laws. But they act surprised when they hear that the owner's going to show up and enact his wrath upon the tenants. Surely not, they say. You see, this is how Jesus shows what's in their own hearts. The chief priests are getting caught up in this story. They assume the owner's dead too and are shocked to hear that he's not really dead. He's coming back and he's going to get some justice. While the chief priests were the religious spiritual leaders of Israel, they might as well have assumed God was dead because they didn't believe in him either. And when someone claiming to be the Son of God shows up, well, <laughs> might as well kill him too. That way, you get the whole vineyard to themselves. They get Israel under complete control, and they can continue running things the way they want. The warning to them about the stone crushing them is lost on them, and that's somewhat puzzling too because they had their own Hebrew proverb, which went something like this. Should the stone fall on the jar, woe to the jar. Should the jar fall on the stone, woe to the jar. In either case, woe to the jar. Now, our modern-day counterparts to these tenants, the naysayers, the staunch atheists and the like, are not religious leaders, <clears throat> although... They may be leaders in their own spheres of influence. Yet the judgment is the same, is it not? Woe to them. During Lent, we are brought face to face with God's persistent love of the Word in the gift of the Son. This parable, this text, chosen by the church to be read amongst the faithful in church, during this time, shows us evermore God's love for this world. He willingly sends the Son into the hands of killers with the end result that the vineyard would be given to us. When God sent His Son, He too was rejected. In love, God gave Him up for us all. In Him, God's persistent love triumphed. For his sake, God continues to pursue us with his love 
in word and sacrament. This uh, same never-ending love, which has triumphed in order to make the people of God by faith in Jesus become, or it becomes, the power and the the motivation for lives which produce the fruit of the vineyard. And that fruit entails bringing the message of this parable to bear on the modern-day counterparts to the chief priests and their scribes. How, How does this happen? Do we just walk up to someone we think might be a a naysayer or even someone we know to be a wicked tenant and tell them the owner's coming back and he's going to drop the stone on their heads? That's what the prophets of old did and they were mocked, despised, and killed for it. Christianity today seeks to win souls from death to Christ with the good news of Jesus. There's a tension even with that. How are people to believe they even need saving from the cornerstone that's, that's either going to crush them or that they're going to be crushed upon? Well, we know God draws to Himself and the Holy Spirit creates faith in the hearts of those to whom He wills. We also know Christ has commanded us to go and proclaim Him and baptize. So we do that. But I believe there is more fruit to be brought forth among us here in this assembly. It's already begun. And I'm determined to follow Jesus to where He's taking us. Won't you follow too? You've got eternal life. The vineyard's yours. You're an heir. You're forgiven and made clean in the sight of the owner. He's not out for your blood. His son's blood was spilled in your place. God builds his church on the cornerstone, the crucified and risen son, Jesus Christ. May we always build our heavenly hope on that one sure cornerstone God has provided us. Now, Go back to my original question, or my earlier question. How are we to help people know of the coming judgment in this parable and other parts of the Bible? Well, I know it's a busy season. It's Lent. Palm Sunday's coming up. Easter's coming up. But we have an amazing opportunity this Easter to proclaim that message, right? And... uh, I got some plans, I got some ideas on how to follow up with our visitors and guests. So I want to meet with you about that on Palm Sunday. I know that's short notice, but if you can make another meeting, evangelism meeting at 6 p.m. on Palm Sunday, uh, then we can work that out together. Amen.